No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Well, welcome aboard, everybody. Thank you for joining in on Talking Bass in PDX, the Bass and Warm Water Forum, as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. I'd like to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the podcast. We are continuing to grow, but as you know, to continue to grow, we need your help, please. If you'll tell your friends about the podcast, they can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Now the weather is getting warmer, days are getting longer, it is time to go fishing. I continue to see folks that are out there catching fish, and there are some large ones as we're getting ready for the spawn. Now on this episode of Talking Bass and PDX, we're going to talk walleye fishing, and I know many of you really enjoy walleye fishing. I'm going to have Lonnie Hansecker, who is the president of the Lower Columbia Walleye Club on the podcast today, so I hope that you will enjoy that. And Lonnie has been uh, president for a couple of years now, avid walleye fisherman. Lonnie grew up here in the Portland area, as we'll talk about on the interview. So I hope that you enjoy it, and here's Lonnie. Well, I'd like to welcome the uh, president of the Lower Columbia Walleye Club. Lonnie, welcome to the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you joining the the uh, podcast. Uh, as I was uh, putting in my um, opening, I had been talking about some clubs here in the Northwest that, that I wanted to make some contact with and and let folks know a little bit more about what's offered up here in the Northwest. And uh, I've known about the uh, Lower Columbia Walleye Club for, for some time, but I had never uh, never contacted any of uh, your members or you folks, so I thought I'd have you guys on the on the show and we could talk a little bit more about, uh, about walleye fishing. But before we do that, I just kind of wanted to uh, kind of talk a little bit about your fishing career and how you got started. Now, you were saying that you um, grew up kind of in the Portland area and that uh, that you guys used to go up on, on Dairy Creek. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, my folks had a cabin up on off of Dairy Creek out of Mountaindale, which is uh, west of Hillsboro. And as uh, I was always had a passion for fly fishing, reading about Isaac Walton was one of the original founders of fly fishing in England. And uh, so I would buy the magazines for 25 cents at Outdoor Life back in the 60s. And so <clears throat> I went down and bought my first fly rod, I believe, at a secondhand store, Bamboo, and uh, bought an old reel with it and kind of taught myself by reading these magazines and my brothers and sisters weren't into fishing, but I, I loved going down to Dairy Creek. And at that time, you could go to G.I. Joe's, and you could buy flies for a nickel apiece. And my favorite fly was called a deer fly. And I'd tie on one of those and go down to Dairy Creek and catch these little trout. 
eight, eight to ten inches long and just, just have a ball. So that's kind of how I got hooked on fishing. Well, that's really interesting um, that you started off with fly fishing. I um, I, I grew up, uh, like we were talking before, I grew up down in California, and fly fishing was a special treat for us down there. We did go a little bit up in the mountains, um, but I never really uh, stuck with it much. I I went more towards the bass side of things, but that's uh, that's interesting. Now, did you continue fly fishing as you were growing up through your teenage years and, and that type of thing? I did not. I moved on to, uh, as you remember, the old Zebco reels and rods. As a, I think almost every young fisherman had those back then in the 60s and 70s. And uh, my father used to take us out to Sobeys Island and would fish some of those lakes out there and catch a lot of catfish and and bass and, and panfish, and we just had a ball. And from there, we moved on to uh, fishing the Columbia River, uh, mainly the Willamette River and the Multnomah Channel, fishing salmon. And uh, then moving moving on from there, years later, I had some friends that introduced me to catching walleye up at uh, Mary Hill area. And, well, tell uh, me a little bit about catching walleye because that's uh, that's what people are going to want to hear about. Okay. Well, I had some friends that were from the East Coast, and uh, walleye is king, kind of like salmon is king out here. And they asked me, Lonnie, would you like to try some walleye fish? And I said, sure. So they took me out of Mary Hill State Park my first time, and we floated down under the 97 bridge and uh, – we were catching 10, 12-pound walleye. Boy, I thought, this is pretty darn easy. This is this is great. Little did I know that uh, that's a kind of a rarity to do that. But back then, it was more common 15, 16 years ago. So uh, once I sat down for dinner and had walleye, I said, boy, I think I'm going to focus on walleye fishing. And my wife, Caroline, loves to fish a lot more than me. She comes from a fishing family. So uh, it was actually uh, Sherry Stark and a friend of ours that Caroline worked with that was uh, the family that got us into walleye fishing. So that's kind of my background on it. Well, that's that's very interesting that you progressed through, you know, all the types of fishing, you know, starting with fly fishing, but then to end up, uh, you know, with the, with such a popular uh, sport fish as uh, walleye. Is is kind of a uh, an interesting uh, timeline. Uh, most folks, I think, kind of add to their repertoire and 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 start fishing walleye. But uh, sounds like you went right to it, and sounds like that you really enjoy it. Tell me some of your favorite techniques. Now, don't give away all the secrets, but you know, I know there's a variety of ways of catching uh, walleye. What's what's your favorite? Well, my favorite technique is, is finding a, a drop off. A walleye will be either up on the ledge or down below. They'll be close by somewhere. And and one thing about belonging to the Lower Columbia Walleye Club, we go on outings once a month, at least, sometimes twice a month. Several members in different boats are trying different techniques and uh, fishing different areas because the uh, Columbia River, there's, there's so much of it to cover. So when you have 12, 15 boats out there and everybody's trying different areas, 
sooner or later, it saves you a lot of trial and error finding out where the, the walleye have moved to and what seems to be the technique working. So I mainly enjoy pulling worm harnesses uh, to different blades, uh, smiley blades. There's a lot of different different blades out there. So from there, you know, sometimes we, uh, you can, once you locate them, you can jig in an area they're at or blade bait. And, uh, and then from there you can go uh, pulling up river, you can pull crankbaits. So uh, once again, there's lots of different avenues for people to explore. It's whatever people enjoy doing and, and, and catching fish at. And that's the neat part about uh, walleye fishing is, you know, if you're out by yourself, you're trying to cover a lot of water. But within your group, if you've got, you know, a dozen people, a dozen boats um, out covering water, you're going to locate them. And that's, uh, that's kind of uh, very helpful because they, they do move. Folks don't realize how far a walleye group can move away from where they were just a few weeks before. I was going to say that is correct, and uh, one thing that I, when I originally joined the Lower Columbia Walleye Club 12, 13 years ago, what I, and I belong to other clubs, Clark's Mania Fly Fishers, and, and, and been with other clubs before, too. We had a president, Lyle Amundsen, that has passed away, which was one of the greatest people you would have ever met. The club was so open, all the members teaching you and showing you, putting marking on there. If you had a map, got it out, they'd show you if you went up to Boardman, hey, fish this area, use this uh, use this blade or this lure, and uh, you should catch fish. So uh, uh, that kind of said, this is a club I want to focus and, and be involved in with uh, people wanting to help you and wanting you to catch fish. And uh, it's, kinda, it's kind of a one big family. Well, I think that's so important when folks are looking at a club and they're they're thinking of joining or going to join, you know, if they feel welcome and people are going to teach them techniques and that kind of thing, it sounds it sounds very helpful. Now, as far as fishing is concerned, walleye fishing, what's your favorite area? I don't want you to give away the exact spot, but uh uh, I have I have areas that I like to go and walleye fish. What's yours? I would say I'm uh, my love of, of the area would be Boardman, Oregon. They have a fantastic Boardman County RV park that uh, is probably one of the finest parks I've ever stayed in, and uh, they have great facilities. The, the launching is free. Uh, Park uh, uh, superintendent is really a, a great guy, Ted Lawrence. Uh, he's good with our club. He's let our club actually put. We've donated benches along the walkway that is along the river there, and we put our uh, past members. Uh, we have brass little nameplates on those benches that Ted Lawrence was kind enough to let our club donate, and. Uh, so yeah, uh, Boardman, uh, Boardman area. There's so many places you could have a hundred walleye fishermen out there, and you still <laughs> would not feel crowded. It's uh, places up and down. You could go down the downriver to Crow's Butte. This is an uh, area I like, and also upriver. There's several areas upriver 
that uh, you can find walleye. So you just have to know some spots. And once again, I was fortunate enough to have some club members when I was green to uh, mark areas on the map for me that I could explore. And my biggest walleye has actually came out of the Boardman area, a little over 14 pounds. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, my go-to spot. Well, that's uh, that's great information. Now, I've spent a, a fair amount of time up at Boardman and there at the at the uh, Boardman Park. As you said, your club has done a phenomenal job of placing benches down the. Um, I call it the exercise walk. It's a it's a really nice um, path there that you can. It's all uh, concrete. But if folks go up there and they uh, they, they get uh, get their RV situated, or if they just take their boat and they want to take a a really nice walk, they they need to go down that uh, that walkway there. Check out the park benches, and uh, I've done that several times, and it's uh, it's a phenomenal place to go. But you're right; you could have as many boats as you could uh, put out there, and you're not gonna you're not gonna run into each other, but the channel markers are there, and if you're out there, you want to make sure you're watching those channel markers because uh, if you don't have real good electronics, you could uh, you could run aground. So I I always tell people exercise caution when you're up around that area. Yeah, I guess I'd love to add another thing, Don, the uh, Boardman area. Uh, it's pretty vast across the river, and you might think that you could uh, just run your boat across the river like at other locations like Mary Hill. You can just mainly be pretty free to run across. At Boardman, there's sandbars, not a lot of rocks per se, but a lot of a lot of islands out there. So you, you could run aground, so please, if you're new to the area, follow uh, other friends or, or people that know the river better than you do and, or look at the river maps before you set out the evening before and kind of map out where you want to go and know how to read the channel markers also. But uh, be be aware that uh, if you're not careful, you'll run aground. So. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one area of uh, of the Columbia River um, from the McNary Dam down that um, uh, I have not run my boat aground over there. I've got my uh, maps, and of course, I've got. Uh, fairly sophisticated electronics and uh, uh, mapping system and things of that nature. So uh, you know, I've looked at it. I've gotten up close to the sandbars to look in there to see um, to see what's over there, and it gets uh, it gets real shallow real quick. Now, when you're up at Boardman, the water in the channel is fairly deep. Um, what's your favorite depth to 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 fish at up there? Wherever I'm catching the walleye, no, uh, <laughs> we we caught them in, uh, and once again here lately at Mary Hill, we're catching them in over 50 foot of water, and they're most of them are 50 to 60 foot at this time, and other times, uh, I my friends that started me out, they'd only fish 18 to 25 foot of water, and that's where they would really do extremely well. At uh, different times in the evenings, of course, if you fish at night, you can go in shallower water towards the shoreline because uh, the walleye are very 
light sensitive with those big old walleyes of them. Or they, they have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, I've been fishing that board before where the uh, walleye have been down 60 feet down in the middle of the channel. So don't be afraid to experiment or make a couple passes and work your way out to deeper water from inside to out. Mix up your speeds a little bit too. And always uh, have people in your boat trying different techniques or, or setups. So then you'll kind of find out because sometimes they're kind of particular what they like. So, uh, and, and another note I had too is uh, that west wind in the Columbia River can pick up extremely fast if you're not familiar with that. So uh, keep your eye if you have a weather app. And, uh, and keep your eye on the horizon and, and, and watch for that wind because it can come up like the ocean out there. I've been I've been there, done it before, so it's not fun. And uh, another note: if you fish boardman up there, sometimes if it's predicting a west wind, take your boat and trailer and go up to Irgon. They have a new dock there, and if the west wind picks up, it's a lot easier to ride with the waves and head into them. And we do that sometimes too. And it's less windy. Aragon kind of makes a the river makes a bend in the river up there, so it can be less windy at Aragon if you're not being able to fish at Boardman. Just another tidbit advice. Oh, that's a that's a, a very good uh, tech tip because I've um, I've done that. I've been at Boardman uh, and trailered our boat up to uh, Aragon and been quite surprised that there's a nice little spot right in there that you can uh, go back and forth troll for some distance and the wind doesn't seem to bother you. So that's, that's, that's a good one. Now back toward the Portland area, do, do you fish the Multnomah channel much? Uh, not in the last couple of years so much. Uh, I do uh, once in a while here, but uh, probably three, four years ago and a little prior to that, you could really catch some nice walleye in the Multnomah Channel. And we're talking uh, some of our new club members went out on their second trip and caught 12-pound walleye in there. And that's oh. uh, something for a new for a person to catch a walleye that big on their second outing. You know? so, uh, but uh, anymore, I'm not sure where they uh, – there's walleye still in there, but they're not the numbers and the size that they were before. So I, I don't concentrate on, on the Multnomah Channel anymore. Uh, so and then on that on that note also, I just I'll, I'll throw this out there just because there was a guide a couple of years ago that told me that there were walleye in the Willamette over near where the uh, submarine is at over the over at the uh, uh, on the uh, east uh, side of the river. And I went, boy, I'm going to go over and and try to try to find those over near Omsi, and I have fished that to death. Uh, I've never caught one. Have you caught any uh, walleye in the Willamette? I'll be honest with you, I've never fished up there. I know exactly what you're talking about. But, uh, and I've heard here and there people pick up walleye up there, but no great amount of them. I just prefer the walleye out of the Columbia River over the Willamette River, and I, I don't know if it makes a difference if you don't eat that many of them. But uh, 
water's a little cooler and uh, just uh, something about the Columbia River is kind of a lot more areas to, to fish and, and uh, more open so you're not as crowded with uh, other boaters also. So, no, but no, I have not fished that uh, east side of the uh, Willamette River by Elmsey. Yeah, I, I I thought since we were talking about spots, I'd throw that one in there. And I've, like I said, I've tried it, and um, so far I haven't caught any, but I've heard other people that have. So, um, if folks want to go in there and try, hey, go ahead. Now let's talk a little bit about the Lower Columbia Walleye Club. Of course, I belong to uh, Oregon Bass and Panfish Club. We kind of do a little bit of everything, but you guys focus specifically on uh, on walleye. So tell me a little bit about how you help folks uh, enhance their experience and um, and that type of thing if they were to join the club. Well, it's actually it's a great bargain for uh, $25 to join our club for our yearly membership, and that includes your family. And uh, you'll get a club newsletter with that that will uh, actually have all the club activities, uh, our monthly Fish outs, it'll have a calendar February through uh, November where we're having fish outs. And we'll do fish outs, uh, Mary Hill. We'll do them at uh, Banks Lake, Boardman, and uh, Camas Washougal. And uh, that probably about covers it. Or we'll go other places too if people want to fish other places. But uh, once again, on our general meetings, we have or it's usually the first Thursday of each month at Grace Baptist Church, and that's uh, you could go to our Lower Columbia Walleye Club .net if you're not a member of the club, and that'll give all the information that are also. But uh, we have round tables where if you want to learn how to uh, tie up worm harnesses, we supply the line and all the terminal tackle to do that, and the uh, club members will gladly show you how to do it, and that's how I learned. So that's, uh, we just want to see people get the experience of learning how to catch a walleye, and uh, and most of all, the delicatessen of uh, eating a walleye is, uh, I guess I compare it to a halibut, but more flakier, melts in your mouth, and uh, so... That experience is something. If once once you do that, you you, I've talked to several people that, that I don't like fish, and I said, well, try this, and I don't believe I've had one person that's tried walleye that did not like walleye. So uh, I, I, it's a great fishery, and our, our club is just like the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club is a great club to help people learn how to go out and enjoy the great outdoors with like-minded people that want to see them catch fish and pass it on to their children and grandchildren, carry on the tradition. Well, and that's that's great information for folks. You know, we've, we've been locked down for the past year or so. I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat that one. But as people are starting to come out of the, uh, you know, their, their, their COVID uh, uh, lockdown, you know, I think a lot of folks are going to be are going to be staying closer to home and looking for experiences where they can introduce your their kids. And you now I'm kind of looking at your website. It looks like you guys are, you know, very 
friendly toward younger folks uh, starting to fish? Yes, we are. Actually, probably one of our biggest uh, volunteer programs we have for children is uh, the Klein Line for Kids Fishing Derby, which is for youth 5 to 14 years of age. Friday and Saturday event where on, a, on the Friday, it's a special needs event for handicapped children, kids, which is really great. It's kind of a one-on-one deal. And then on the Saturday, it's a, it's a main event. And uh, we get between, on Saturday, usually 2,000-plus children fishing. So the Lower Columbia Walleye Club, we have volunteers that help with the children on the, on the beach at Klein Line, and then we also run the fish cleaning station. So we have uh, six cleaning station tables, and so we can move them through pretty fast. A club is only as, as, as good as its members that volunteer. If, if the club's worth while to belong to, you should volunteer. And uh, you'll get a lot of satisfaction seeing these kids cal- uh, catch fish. And uh, that makes it all worthwhile, passing it on that someday you think perhaps they might do the same thing you're doing. We do, uh, we're working with another group up in, Tri-Cities area, we're working at doing a derby up there or helping with what we can, funding and volunteers at this time. So we're, we're open if, if anybody wants to contact us and they have a youth fishing group that uh, might need some help one way or the other, we're, we're open to listening to any way we can help out. Well, and that's that's great news. You know, I I had uh, knew that you guys were involved with the uh, the Klein Line uh, Pond um, project up there. I didn't realize uh, that that it was that big of involvement. So, you know, folks, if you've got young children and you want to take them out and have some success, you know, take a look at the uh, the Lower Columbia Walleye Club. Now, I'll put your um, website in my show notes. So if you've missed it, it's uh, very easy. LowerColumbiaWalleyeClub.net, easy address to get to. Uh, you can Google them; it comes right up. Now, one of the other things that I I was looking at your website, and I'm always um, interested in this part of uh, of fishing because I personally feel that game fish and bass are so important uh, that they uh, that they should be caught and put back so we can catch them again. Now, of course, there's going to be times when you're when you're going to harvest some fish. I understand that, and if you injure one, of course, you're going to, you know, you don't want to put a fish back that's, that's that may not may not make it. But um, I also noticed that you guys are monitoring governor or government uh, uh, and environmental impacts. Can you tell me a little bit about your your catch and release program? A little bit about how you guys are monitoring government uh, regulations. Okay, well, we try to, most members, if we catch a, a walleye that's over five pounds, we try to release it back because uh, we like to see or the species continue on and uh, for future generations. And uh, to be quite honest, the smaller walleyes in the two to three pound range, four pound range, I feel are better eating. 
and uh, you can catch enough of those that uh, you don't need to catch a great big walleye and keep it unless it's a trophy one. Uh, so that's kind of rule of thumb for us. There's uh, some people, perhaps, their freezer's empty, and if they caught a 7-8 pound walleye, they're going to eat it. Uh, I don't begrudge them. They can, you know. Uh, so everybody's circumstance is different. Sometimes some people might keep some smaller walleye than you or I might, but if they eat them and they don't have any walleye in their freezer, that's that's their choice. Uh, so anyway, all we can do is... Uh, try to uh, let people know kind of what we think is a, is a general consensus of the club that can uh, have the fishery remain robust and uh, because there's a, there's a lot of uh, impact things against walleye with the limits being taken off of them in the last couple of years. The tribes... Indians catch them in their nets, and there are some guys that get out there and catch as many as they can, big ones, and uh, a lot. And they just over the rail into the pail everything they catch. But there are a lot of guys that do not do that. Also, they release big fish, and they they realize that this fishery, you know, it can it can go downhill fast. So, uh, once again. Uh, we want to promote walleye and keep it around for our future generations. So we we just advocate for the walleye themselves. It's a great fishery, and it it helps the communities up and down the Columbia River. Uh, Denty's Motel we stay in when we're up there at Mary Hill. They appreciate our business, and they we we basically fill up the motel sometimes on a weekend outing and. That kind of makes a difference whether or not they kind of don't have to struggle as hard to, to make it. And uh, so in the uh, Boardman area, too, uh, we bring uh, our warm water fishermen, bring a lot of uh, business up that way, too, with reservations, eating at restaurants, buying supplies. So it kind of, I believe, is something that uh, I would wish that the state would kind of take a take a look at and uh, – kind of think a little more about the, the warm water fishery. But uh, we are, we have got involved with the group that you well are aware of, the Warm Water Champions, which uh, we have a a fellow in our walleye club that's uh, going to be our spokesman and uh, our representative for our Lower Columbia Walleye Club that's uh, worked with the for the state and federal government, I believe he has over 40 years working, and he's uh, knows the inner working uh, what goes on with um, why they're making the the rules. The state of Oregon and Washington's pulling the limit off walleye, and uh, so he knows the inner workings, which is 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 quite interesting. Once you speak with them, it uh, really opens your eyes a little bit and realize there's always two sides to a story. So stay tuned. It should be pretty interesting uh, seeing what happens here. <clears throat> I have sat in on a, uh, a Zoom meeting with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife before, and uh, uh, it was very interesting. But it, uh, it basically sounded like they kind of had their mind made up 
and with their decision what they were going to do, even with the input from warm water champions and other uh, groups, fishing groups. So stay tuned, and uh, we got to all work together to make this happen and understand each other why why they're doing what they're doing and why we're trying to do what we're doing. So Well, I understand. You know, the... Um I've done several podcasts. If folks want to go back and, and look at some of the other ones that uh, deal with the, with the limits and things like that, certainly they're back there in the archives. But, um, you know, we can only do what we can do, you know, as far as asking ODFW and the, in the, uh, both Washington and Oregon to uh, pay attention to us. But in the end, I've always said that, you know, our fishermen that are involved with warm water fishing um, are are can be their own best stewards of our fisheries, and um, and I truly believe that. I, I fish with a lot of folks, and I watch what they do, I watch how they do it, and I think that um, you know, yes, we probably need some government regulations, but I think we can take care of it by being good stewards of the of the fishery too. So. Um, I, I hope that folks will uh, will go out and go fishing, you know, and uh, you know catch what you need. But uh, you know, on occasion when you're seeing that uh, trophy fish, um, take some great pictures of it and then put it back, uh, you know, so they can produce more fish so that you'll be able to go back and, and catch more. So, you know, I, I didn't. Uh, I'm not trying to lead you into the into the government part, but sometimes we just have to talk about it, you know. Oh, I understand, and, and I, I, I get both sides. And there's, uh, and this all basically boils back down to the, the salmon smolts. Uh, their uh, numbers have been reduced, salmon that is. So you know the fingers have to get pointed somewhere sometimes. And uh, you know, walleye is an easy finger. Uh, warm water fish are an easy finger to point at. So uh, I don't know if they, did, they deserve what they're getting their finger pointed at, but uh, all all we can do is be stewards and uh, carry on and, and uh, work with the states and, and uh, not against them. And if we work together, maybe we can come up to an amicable uh, fishery decision here that benefits our, our communities and uh, – future generations of walleye fishermen and uh, warm water fishermen, uh, bass and other warm water fish also. So uh, there's not an easy answer, but uh, once again, if we all work together, I think we can perhaps come up to a consensus that uh, walleye are, will be here to stay. So let's uh, and listen to some of the the people that are buying the fishing licenses supporting uh, the ODFW and WDFW also, you know, we're, we should have a, a good say in this, which uh, they are reaching out to us. So, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I have to say that uh, the last, uh, last updates I've heard that they are, they are opening, they are opening up. So uh, let's hope that that, uh, that dialogue continues so that we can continue fishing. Now I've got a few uh, rapid, rapid fire questions that I like to ask. Um, 
that are asked of you. So what's your uh, personal best that, you, uh, that you've caught? Uh, talking biggest walleye? Biggest walleye. 14 and a half pounds. Very nice. Very nice fish. If you only had one lure that you could take with you for the day, what would it be? I would go back to a chartreuse beads and a chartreuse blade would be kind of my meat and potatoes go-to one. Although there's other ones that produce better sometimes, but an all-around general good color is that chartreuse. Actually, that's the one I caught my biggest walleye on. So it was a little chartreuse blade with the chartreuse beads. So. All right, so the beads are important. I've heard this before, and uh, I, I am tying stuff with beads. Uh, I started last year, and I noticed it does make a difference. Let's go back a minute to the beads. I want to <clears throat> let okay. people know, or yourself, Don, uh, in between our two hooks, when you tie on your bottom hook, <clears throat> we'll slip a little bead in between on the line there before you tie in your second hook because a lot of times a walleye <clears throat> will just grab that bead down there and be hanging on to it, moving that bead away from its nest or an area, or it's caught in its, its mouth. Because a lot of times, uh, Don, I don't know if you've noticed, you get a fish in the net and it'll just come right out. <clears throat> a lot of times it's just holding on to the beads. So uh, I learned from a, a good fisherman years ago that uh, – uh, just tie that extra bead in there, and that might make the difference whether or not you get some walleye in the boat there too. So, also oh, that's a great, uh, uh, great tech tip there. I, you know, I have been putting my beads in front of the hooks, and I had not been tying one back between that first and second hook. So I think I'm going to change up my technique just a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't hurt, and I think it only helps. Yeah. Enhance catching some walleye sometimes when you might not. Yeah. So, and yeah. and now does and, color does color of beads seem to make a difference? I've noticed there's a couple of colors that I have stopped using because I don't catch anything. It does actually. Uh, I would say this last uh, Mary Hill fish out. If you were going to a darker darker green, my wife calls it a Christmas green beads, and. Uh, uh, chartreuse is kind of lighter colored, but if you went to a darker green blade with a silver back, that was a ticket this last uh, fish out we had. But next fish out, it could be something else. So, yes, color does make a difference in the depths also, too, you know. So fish uh, sees certain colors better at certain depths than other ones. So keep that in mind. And on another note, too, I'd like to kind of mention, too, uh, people from this area here are used to, it's, it's just automatic. You, you feel a tug, and you set the hook. On a walleye, you, you will most likely not catch walleye if you think you're setting the hook for a salmon or a steelhead. <clears throat> You've got to do a, I call it a sweeping motion. You, you feed it back to them, let them suck it in, because they're, they're moving it. They're carrying it away. They're not slamming it usually like a salmon would. So if you feel a bite right off and you jerk on it, you're going to jerk it right out of their mouth. So once again, feed it back to them. 
and then do a slow sweep up like you're sweeping the floor, and uh, you'll hook a lot more walleye, believe you me. So You're right. And my, my wife and I uh, tend to fish in our boat quite a bit, and uh, what I'll do is a lot of times I'll, I'll put the uh, – the rods in our rod holders and just tell her just leave it alone it'll catch itself um rather than jerking on it because if you pull on it it feels like it pulls it right out of their mouth right and we have a guide in our club that uh, is a good uh guide for walleye fishing and that's what he does with his clients he just sets the rods in the holders rod holders and they'll catch more fish than if they were holding on to the, the rods probably so uh yes yeah. It's a very different. Uh, it's a very different fish than anything else that, that folks have caught. Uh, whatever they've learned of of steelhead and, and salmon fishing, uh, very little of it's useful. And if you've if you're a, a bass fisherman, you definitely want to forget everything you know about bass fishing because we all want to jerk the hook and, exactly. and set it. Yeah. And, I guess one more point taken, Don. Too, if you want to learn to catch walleye, join a club, whether it be Oregon Bass and Panfish Club or the Walleye Club, Lower Columbia Walleye Club, and or go with the guide. Uh, people that can show you some techniques that it would take you weeks and months maybe to learn that you could learn in a day that would save you a lot of time on the river trying to catch a elusive walleye. So that's a very valuable tip. Very valuable. Joining the club, uh, you know, uh, like the Lower Columbia Walleye Club, where you're going to be talking to, you know, and I, and I, like you said, you've got a guide involved with your club, so you're you're going to have folks that are that are going to be able to teach you how, and and certainly taking a trip with a guide. I did it um, a couple of years ago because I wanted to catch some um, trophy size fish for pictures only, and. Um, we did not get any that day, but boy, did we get a lot of bass! Man, we couldn't we couldn't keep the bass off the line. So um, it was a great experience because he because he still showed you a lot of different techniques. You know, even though we weren't catching walleye per se. So yeah, that's very valuable. So back to my last question: most unusual thing you've caught? Most unusual thing I've caught was. Uh probably a huge sturgeon that was towing my boat around that uh, I don't believe the sturgeon so I guess I can't say I caught it but had hooked they stirred this was up at Boardman it did not know probably I even had it hooked but I put my boat in neutral and that big sturgeon pulled us around feeding moving to this area this area and finally I just had to break my 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 line off because uh i couldn't I, I couldn't do anything with it it had its way with our boat and me so uh but uh probably the most unusual thing i've i've caught on the clember river that is is uh 12 13 pound uh catfish you know that the uh, big old heads on them huge oh yeah and, uh, yeah have yeah, salmon before, but that's not, that's not unusual for salmon, and and you'll you'll catch uh, catfish too. But uh, you know, to catch a twelve, thirteen pound big old catfish is something else too. To see them, you know. So 
Yeah, I have not caught any that big, but I was uh, up at Boardman last year in the fall, um, and I was fishing for yellow perch. So I had my four-pound line ultralight tackle because they're not very heavy and bringing them up. And all of a sudden, my rod tip goes down underneath my boat, and I thought, oh, I've got a big bass on. And so I played it. I figured, oh, I'm just going to hang on to it. You know, uh, you know, I'll bring it up and let it go. And when I got done, I had an eight-pound channel catfish on the end of that line, and he was an oh, wow. unhappy camper when I got him up to the boat. <laughs> uh, took a lot of pictures of it, unhooked it, and uh, and let it go. And what I learned later, which I thought was very unusual, is I did not realize how hard the roof of a catfish mouth is. But but a big hook doesn't really catch real well in there, but those little hooks that I was using for, for yellow perch uh, hooked into the skin. And I never really hooked it like fully through the lip because it, it, it would not penetrate. But that was the one thing I learned. I, I looked at its mouth when I opened it, pulled the hook out, and, and, uh, and I, had, uh, I had hooked it in the skin. So that was my... That was my, my catfish story for last year. <laughs> right. I'd like to add something my wife caught. It wasn't a fish in the Multnomah Channel one time. She hooked a, a drone from the bottom of the like Multnomah a, Channel. Like and brought a it drone in. with propellers and that kind of thing? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and they had a fellow's phone number on it, so we called him up. And it was a $2,000 drone, and it had a uh, chip in it that uh, he was actually filming Eagle's Nest that he, he had a website that uh, he was very enthusiastic that uh, we had found his drone and the drone was not of any value anymore but the chip was so he came out and bought my wife and I both dinner and uh, to show his gratitude for us give him a call and returning his his drone to him and what had happened to it was it lost power and before it got back to shore it, it, he saw it just go down into the Multnomah Channel and he thought it was gone forever and but my wife uh, somehow hooked a, one of the landing legs on it on the drone and hauled it up to the boat and we netted it so that has to be one of the best ones I've heard you know a fender and I had somebody you know that was on the show and they caught a bumper and in the the thought, the one I thought was the best. I think you guys may have got the best one now, but the best one was somebody who hooked a barbecue grill, and because it had holes in it, it was moving a lot. They thought they had a fish, and they fought this thing all the way to the surface, and netted a barbecue grill. But yeah, catching a drone, I, I think you got the top bill now. No, no, something, my wife, and we had a good dinner out of it too, so it was all worthwhile. Well, very nice. Well. You know, we've spent uh, uh, about a half an hour or so here talking. I think we've given out some great information. I hope that folks uh, uh, have taken out their pencil and paper and uh, wrote a few of these notes down. Now, certainly, if, uh, if they want to find out more about the club, if they um, log on to their favorite uh, browser and, uh, and uh, find you guys, uh, I noticed that your contacts have got addresses or have got uh, email addresses. They can email you and uh, and find out more about the club. Exactly. Yeah. And once again, that's uh, LowerColumbiaWalleyeClub.net. And uh, feel free to call 
any one of our uh, officers in the club or myself, yeah, our, our numbers are there, and we we have uh, actually uh, a couple members that are activity directors. If you're interested in and uh, keep going to an outing or something, but I'd recommend first coming to a, a meeting and and, and uh, rubbing elbows with us and seeing if you like what you hear. And we we have a guest speaker uh, every month usually too. Uh, could be a guide. Could be last month we had Stacy Kelsey with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Real interesting lady, great gal. So we have interesting speakers, and uh, you can go home with some tied up walleye setups too. So it makes it all worthwhile. We have door prizes too, so you might win a grab bag or something also. So once again, uh, Don, thank you. Yeah, those who don't know, Stacy Kelsey is a. Um Warm water biologist for Washington, so she's a very interesting person to listen to. I've I've spoke with her and had her uh, seen her at uh, at a couple of different uh, presentations. So that's a that's a really good one. Well, Lonnie, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your your time with me, and uh, I hope to be seeing you out on the water. Great. Well, I look forward to it too. And uh, Don, I hope to see you at one of our meetings there too. And uh, if not, uh, join us at one of our fish outs there. And if, if nothing else, we uh, we have potlucks and we feed real good too. So, uh, yeah, good good memories. All right. Well, thanks, Lonnie. Well, I hope that all of you enjoyed Lonnie's interview. Got some information from it. And of course, as I said, I will have the Lower Columbia Walleye Club information in my show notes. If you have any additional questions, please email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. And before I go, I'd just like to um, dedicate this podcast to um, a fellow member of the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, one of my best friends. He was a contributor to the podcast many times behind the scenes, and he was a, a guest, and that was Rich Tomlinson. Rich passed away on March the 30th, and he will be missed by everyone. So I'd just like to uh, send out a thank you to his family and to all of the folks who knew Rich. He'll be sorely missed. Well, this has been Don Clark, and I will see you on the backcast.